What's this music? This music, well, I just discovered it today. Oh, yes? Yes, it is M83. The galaxy? Well, it seems that they are named after the galaxy. Huh, cool. And you know what? What? Uh, we are going to use M83 for WhatsApp. Well, what a, what a great, great segue. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're going to be talking about galaxies again today. Okay, galaxies it is. Good. Hi, I'm Kirsten Banks. And I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the Scientists. Okay, welcome to episode eight. Eight. Episode eight, and we are adding and adding and adding more episodes. So many episodes. I don't know how we do it. Well, I believe it that I still don't know how we are doing it. Or Somehow we do. <laughs> how I am doing it. <laughs> well, today we are going to be talking about dark matter and a mysterious galaxy that has no dark matter. But first, do we have any feedback? Well, we have had some few retweets and likes and not that many comments, mm. but... Um, I would like to say, for example, that Peter at Say A Fuego, he said something very interesting to you. Oh, really? Yeah. Because we were saying that, oh, we finally got the 1,000 listens mm. in our podcast. Yuppie, thank you. And we were saying that in, in, in Twitter. And he said, I heard that for astronomers, three orders of magnitude is generally close enough. <laughs> because we were expecting to get a million. That's right. I remember that tweet. That's great. <laughs> so thank you for that comment. Although for astronomers, believe me, three orders of magnitude is not right. No, it's we want we want six orders of magnitude. No, we have to go up with six orders of magnitude. Yes, that's right. But <laughs> a difference of three orders of magnitude in astronomy, is still it is a lot. Yes. We are happy. We are more or less in the same order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. Let's say a two in a step of a 10, something like that. Yeah. It's still moving. Or two in a nine, two and eight, mm. something like that. We are happy. But from two to 20, that is an order of magnitude, we are starting to be not very, not very, very happy. That's because right. But we do appreciate the, uh, the reference to astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> Which in some way sometimes is more or less, more or less okay. Right. So in that case... What's up? What's up? Well, we already mentioned that. That's right. We're going to be looking at M83 and I hear that it's your favorite galaxy. It is one of my favorite galaxies. One of your favorite galaxies. It is one of my favorite galaxies. Um, well, there's so many to choose from. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and, but I like this very much, not only because I have seen it many, many, many times with my amateur telescope when I was a kid or later when I have been older, mm. but also because I actually studied it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I have very cool observations with the AAT of this galaxy. That's right. What are you looking for in this galaxy? Uh, well, all the star formation. Ooh. Because we should mention first that M83 is a spiral galaxy. I would have guessed. I was about to ask you that. But since yeah. you said star formation, I was like, ah, spiral. A spiral galaxy, uh, like the Milky Way. Although M83 it is forming many more stars than the Milky Way is doing at the, at the current moment. So would that mean that's younger than the Milky Way? Not necessarily. Okay. There are still plenty of uh, old stars in the center, mm. but it has a huge amount of gas. 
really, really huge amount of gas. If we could see that galaxy M83 with our naked eye in radio, when we can observe the 21 centimeter diffuse gas, the neutral mm. gas in the galaxy, the size of the gas will be two full moons in the sky. Whoa. A degree. That's huge. It's huge. So How it, far away is this thing? Uh, not that far away. It is only 15 million light years. That's, that's pretty close. So Just a is, hop, skip and a jump away. Yeah, it is in what we call the local volume. And that is mm. why I'm very much interested in that. Right. Because we have been observing this galaxy with the compact array interferometer here in Australia, in Narrowbride, as part of, of one survey that's trying to find the diffuse gas in galaxies, nearby galaxies. And it was a huge surprise to find all this amount of gas in the galaxy, very far away from the part that we see. Mm. And on top of that, I have been observing it with A80 to look the details of the star-forming regions, not only in the spiral arms, mm -hmm. but also in the very far outer skirts of the galaxy. Oh. In, thanks to ultraviolet images from the GALAX satellite a decade mm. ago, we discovered that uh, this object has plenty of star formation where we should not see it, where we should not expect it, because it is out. Yes, it's not necessarily in mm. the galaxy no, so much. Not in the galaxy. It is actually quite far away from the galaxy. Huh. But these are star forming regions. Actually, we have observed this, some, many, many of these objects with AAT. We are investigating the chemical composition and so on to try to guess the gas from where it's coming from. Right. What a weird galaxy. It is a weird galaxy, although many times it is just classified as the standard spiral galaxy. Mm. It is a standard spiral galaxy. You so see? I wonder if the same thing's happening with the Milky Way. Uh, well, it is in some way happening. We know mm. that there are plenty of accretion that is happening in our galaxy, that mm. uh, there are not only the Magadanic clouds in some way interacting with the Milky Way, but also the, another dwarf galaxy in Sagittarius, which is behind, behind. behind the center of the galaxy. Yes. So we are looking on the other part of the galaxy, and we mm. know that there is a dwarf galaxy colliding in some way with the Milky Way. Oh, it yes, is on the, the one that's uh, going kind of like yeah. they've got streams around the Milky uh, Way. And we are finding many of these tidal streams mm. around the Milky Way now that we are conducting many surveys mm. with stars. Two of which have indigenous names. Yeah, you yeah. know that. Exactly, <laughs> you know that very well. I do remember that uh, media release when I was doing my internship. I was very excited about that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very good. It was a cool idea coming mm. from uh, another astronomer here at the AO, Kyler Kuhn. Mm. Um, and to be asked to help with that process was really amazing as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Good. But again, observing M83, it is great with a small telescope. Mm -hmm. If you are in a very dark place and you have good binoculars, you can see it with the binoculars. Really? Yeah. It is a bright object. That's awesome. It is a bright object. I guess it is, it is pretty close. It is close. Although the surface brightness is not that bright. Okay. So it, it's a bit still diffuse. Okay. So it is very easily to be lost if you're using too much magnification and trying to find for it. Right. So, so if... So if, say, for example, I've seen the Sombrero Galaxy, which is double the distance um, with the telescope at Sydney Observatory. Do you think if I pointed the telescope at M83, we would see you it? You should be able to see at least the center. 
Okay, but, so it's it's so big that yeah. So you will be able it. to see the center, but I don't think it will be very easy to see the spiral structure right. because that is the faint part. You will yeah. see the, the the bulge, the part in the center is yeah. still bright enough, but the spiral structure and also the bar because it has a bar in the center. Oh, um, okay. So it's typical spiral. Next bar clear spiral. night, I might give it a try. Yeah, yeah you can you can try. It is mm. still, as I said, one of my favorite galaxies mm. and. Plenty of gas, plenty of star formation, plenty of action. <laughs> well, do you reckon there's any dark matter in that galaxy? For sure. We have measured it many times. Awesome. Many, many times. That's so cool. And it is just so amazing when you are getting this kind of the data and you check by yourself how mm. all the objects that you are observing, all the galaxies that you are analyzing, how they're moving, they're moving much faster than what we should expect from the amount of stars that we see. That's right. And that's how we actually discovered, well, quote-unquote discovered, dark matter. Yeah, that's right. And that was very famous astronomer, Vera Rubin, mm -hmm. who in the late uh, 1960s, early 1970s, she was uh, using spectroscopy okay. for understand how galaxies are moving, how are they rotating. Mm. She was using a kind of observation that is putting a kind of a slit Mm -hmm. So it is a slit crossing the main part of the galaxy with the center in more or less in the center of the slit. And then you are just cutting the slit in just a small pieces mm -hmm. and get the spectrum from each of these pieces yep. and measure how the features that you see in the spectrum are moving with respect to each other. Okay. Well, say if a, exa uh, sorry, say if a galaxy is face on to us, would we actually see any shift because then the velocity isn't in our direction or not? That is a very clever question. Mm. So you will be able to see something because it will not be 100% face on. Fair point. Yes. That, that, <laughs> that will be. And the other thing is that beside that, it is always a 3D object. So you yep. will see some movement from one place to the other. Okay. So definitely the best way to do that, and that is the reason why Vera Rubin was using a spiral galaxy with sun inclination angle, mm -hmm. in order that you can trace much better the differences between one part and the other of the galaxy. Yeah. So what we are doing here, it is just going from the center of the galaxy to the outer skirts, mm -hmm. or to the external parts. And seeing how the spectrum shifts yeah. as you get further out. Exactly. Okay. The, you are building what we call the rotation curve of a mm -hmm. galaxy. Well, thinking about our solar system, we should expect if there is a big mass in the center mm -hmm. and the diffuse stuff, it is in the outer skirt. Yep. Objects in a galaxy should be moving as the planets are moving around the sun. That's right. The closer ones move faster, further one, further away ones look move slower. Uh, exactly. That is what we call Keplerian yes. movement. That's for, right. For Kepler. So. But we found the exact opposite, didn't but we? Exactly. That was yes. the surprise. It was not only that it was uh, going faster and faster and faster. It was also that it was doing it very, very, very fast. Mm. So in a step of going from the center to the outer skirts, the rotation diminishing mm -hmm. with, with the distance, with yep. the radius, it was going the other way around. It so was does increasing, it, increasing, increasing. Does it plateau as well? And there is a moment in which you get a plateau. That's right, yes. I know uh, I've seen that graph before. Uh, and that was also the extra surprise because it doesn't matter where you go, there is a moment if you're going far, far, far and you continue going farther away, that plateau is more or less the same. 
For M83 and for the Milky Way, it is around 220, 225, 30. Hey, that's our speed around the Milky Way. Kilometers per second. That's right. That's that's how fast the sun and our solar system yeah, is moving around the Milky Way, more or less. Or at the end of the day, the sun around the Milky Way is moving, is starting to be more or less in the plateau. Yes. Of the rotation. Because we are quite Way. far out. We are quite far out. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Hence why we see a really great cluttered sky during our winter in Australia, because we're looking towards the centre of the Milky Way at night time. But in summer, we're looking towards the outer edge of the Milky Way, so we don't see as many stars. Exactly. So when we are looking to the center of the Milky Way, which is in the constellation of Sagittarius, Scorpio, mm. Scutum, plenty of stars. Yes. Plenty of stars. And there are also very richness parts that is coming to the constellations of Carina and Centaurus and mm. the Southern Cross. That yep. That's where they are. That's uh, where listeners from the Northern Hemisphere can't see. Mm-hmm. And I'm missing an important part of the Milky Way. Very important part of the Milky Way. <laughs> and on the other part, if we are looking to Orion, yes. on that part there that is going completely opposite mm. to the center of the of the galaxy. And that is why it seems it is not that bright. Yes. So. And funnily enough, every single dark sky that I've seen that didn't have a full moon in it has been during summer mm-hmm. in the less exciting part of the sky. But, <laughs> but still, still you can see the Milky Way. Oh, yes, of you course. You can see the Milky Way faint. You have to be really in a dark place to mm. really appreciate how it is very, very close to Orion, mm. to the east from, from Orion, and you will see crossing. And if you are able to take a photo, you will see it much better with that. It is there. It is still there. There are yeah. stars, but they are not as bright as the center, the center of the yeah. Milky Way. I mean, it still looks fantastic. Like, I was still, my breath was still taken away when I see it every single time but I'm just still ready for that peak of seeing the centre of the Milky Way and the entire emu in a dark sky. You have to do it now, this year. I do. It's going to be this year. Come on. (laughs) I think I have said that in the podcast already, but the first time that I saw that Mm. in 2003, the first time I came to Australia, I cried (laughs) because it was the most fantastic view that I have ever had. Of the sky. Oh no, I'm a yeah. crier. Yeah, I, I think I, I would cry too. She's so overwhelmed with spaciness. It's mm. an actual emotion when it comes to me, spaciness. Yeah. <laughs> so the Milky Way, which at the end it is a spiral galaxy like M83, we are inside the galaxy, so we are watching the projection or the spiral, mm-hmm. which is a disc in yeah. some way, the disc of the Milky Way into the sky. And that is why it is this kind of band that is mm. crossing the sky. Yes. And interesting also, if you go perpendicular to that direction, it is where we are going to find many galaxies and clusters of galaxies because mm. we are looking perpendicular to the Milky Way. That's and right. Then we don't have extinction. We don't have many stars. We have stars from the Milky Way, but not many. We can see farther and farther and farther and farther away. Mm. And for those who don't know what extinction is, because it might seem a little counterintuitive. Um, (laughs) Extinction is when you're looking through a gas and light is essentially lost. So you kind of get this reddening of light because the blue light is scattered more so than the red light. So yeah, you get this kind of losing of light and you don't get that when you're looking outside of perpendicular to the Milky Way because when we're looking into the Milky Way, there's lots of gas in the way. Hence the mighty extinction. It is like being in the fog. 
yes, in some way, like exactly. being in the fog. If you are looking into the Milky Way, it is very, 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 very foggy <laughs> because of that, because of the cast and the dust and yes. even the stars that it's are there. Exactly right. But if you go in and look perpendicular to that, then it is not that foggy. It's still mm. a bit, it's mm. still a bit, but not that foggy. That's right. Okay, well, more about dark matter and galaxies. Scientists have discovered a galaxy with almost no dark matter. What's going on? Oh, well, plenty of people are talking about that because have been very much also in the media and in the social media and trying to understand what is happening here. That's right. Be so the galaxy is NGC1052-DF2. What a great name. Um, it's about 65 million light years away. And apparently there's no dark matter in it. What's so baffling? Well, I will say that exceptional claims needs exceptional proofs. That's, this is true. Starting from there, it will be important to double check what is happening in this object. Mm. Perhaps it will be first a good idea just to emphasize that all galaxies have dark matter. Mm -hmm. All the galaxies that we have been observing, they always are behaving exactly in the same way. If we want to account for, we didn't mention that, if we want to account for the movement of the speed the mm -hmm. galaxies are rotating, we need the galaxies to be inside a huge halo of dark matter. Right. And that is the reason why the external parts of the galaxies are moving that fast. Mm. Because of the huge amount of dark matter that is... Like surrounds it. Surrounds it. Yeah. Yes, around all the galaxies. What is dark matter? Don't ask. Yeah, okay. we're still figuring out if it's baryonic or non-baryonic and who knows really at this stage. Wimps, machos, neutralinos, <laughs> who knows? Plenty of ideas. It seems that at the end of the day, perhaps it's going to be no baryonic. When we call baryonic matters, at the end of the day, it is just neutrons, electrons and protons. Yeah, the stuff that makes us up. Exactly, atoms in some way. And the other weird particles mm -hmm. might be non-baryonic. And that might be one of the reasons for the dark matter. But we, mm. we can talk about that in, in another episode, perhaps with an interview with, with someone that knows a lot about this. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is that, as we were saying, as we were observing more galaxies, we were always finding this behavior, that all the standard parts of the galaxies are moving fa faster and faster than what we would expect. And that is where we put the component of the dark matter. Although that was the way dark matter was introduced, it is not the only way we have seen that there is something that we call dark matter, that is around the 25% of all the energy of the universe. Mm. We have seen that in the way the galaxy clusters are moving. We see that in the large-scale structure of the universe. Mm. We see that in the cosmic background radiation. That's the only way to explain the difference, the little difference that we see in temperature. It is including the component of the matter. Hmm. We see that with uh, gravitational lenses. Yes. Oh, I love gravitational lensing. It's so cool. Yeah. We should talk about that in a, on another episode as well. Yeah, 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 they are very cool in order to trace the distribution of matter. And again, mm. when you trace the distribution of matter, there are at least five to ten times more matter than what we see mm -hmm. in, in form of a star, meaning that there is plenty of that matter. But this galaxy, NGC 1052-DF2, it is interesting in any case. Do you know how was it discovered? 
Yes, it was discovered using the Dragonfly Telephoto Array. Ooh. Ooh. Um, what what a is, cool name. What is that? Essentially, it's a bunch of, I think, is it telescopes or is it cameras? No, it's cameras. Yeah, cameras. It's cameras, yes. yes. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of, it's a massive, massive array of cameras linked together that they claim that it's better than a telescope of the size of the entire array. They claim. They haven't proven it, but they claim it. But yeah. funnily enough, people here at the AAO are proving Proving because we are building the Hatsman, which is mm -hmm. a kind of the equivalent. So they are using Dragonfly or the Hatsman here, led um, by uh, Lee Spittler here at Macquarie University and the Australian Astronomical Observatory. They are using the same kind of system. So these, these are Canon lenses, mm -hmm. very luminous lenses that we add together and we are covering a relatively large area of the sky. Yes. Which is almost impossible to get with a professional telescope. Mm. And the thing it is that it is so luminous, these, these lenses are so luminous, that if you're observing for a lot of time, you're able to get very deep images. That's right. Lots and lots of detail very, very far away. So it is not only discovering this kind of small dwarf low surface brightness galaxy, mm -hmm. which this one is one of them. Yes. It is also filaments that sometimes are associated with the Milky Way related with the dust, mm -hmm. for example sometimes are actually features of stellar streams around other galaxies. Yep. And many other details that are starting to appear. What is clear it is that when we are starting to see the outer skirts of galaxies that they seem undisturbed, mm -hmm. there are many surprises coming there because of the accretion of gas, the formation of stars and the way the galaxies are formed. Yeah. And that is one of the main triggering of the science behind building this kind of instruments, uh, Dragonfly or the Hatsman. Mm, precisely. Trying to find uh, what is happening in the outer scale of galaxies. So they found this, uh, DF, what it is, DF2, let's go to call, call it now DF2. <laughs> uh, NGC 1052, it is just an uh, elliptical galaxy which is located in the area okay. at around 63 million light years away in the Cetus constellation. As they found DF2 around that galaxy, they put that, that name. But it is not that close to the galaxy. It is a bit farther away. Okay. But that was the only information they had. So, of course, once you discover something, you have to go to other telescopes and try to observe it mm -hmm. and try to get more data. Yes. And that is what See if other people see the same thing. Exactly. And that is what uh, a group of astronomers uh, led by Peter Van Dokum at Yale University from the US mm -hmm. have been doing. Right. They, they discovered this object and they applied for time at the big telescopes. Mm. At the 10 meters Keck telescope in Hawaii, in Gemini North mm -hmm. too, in Hawaii. And also more images from the Hubble Space Telescope. Ah, fantastic. And that is the way they have to actually measure things. Because the trick here, it is the images from Dragonfly, they are very good, they're great, you can mm. discover objects. But when you really compare with the quality of the images or the information you can get using an 8-meter or 10-meter telescope or the Hubble Space Telescope mm. in orbit around the Earth, you will see the difference. That's right. And that's what science is. We need to make measurements, take a lot of data, so we can actually come to a concise conclusion. Mm -hmm, exactly. So what they did was using this new observation with the large telescope to try to identify stars, if possible, 
and they found not, not exactly stars, but what they claim to be kind of globular clusters. Okay. And it seems globular clusters. Yep. And again, they were able to get uh, spectroscopic measurements on some few of them. Mm -hmm. And that was the key. Because if we were able to get the spectroscopy, we can measure velocities. And they did an analysis trying to measure not exactly the distance, because it is not that easy to determine the distance to these objects because they are still relatively nearby mm -hmm. to the Milky Way. Any proper movement that they have might put the object far from the Hubble flow, from the Hubble law. Okay. That, so you cannot determine directly the distance. You need other tools. Yes. And that, that is the tricky part here, that we don't know the distance to the galaxy. Oh, okay. We don't know that. What they measured was how the kind of globular cluster around the galaxy were having the dispersion of velocities, let's mm -hmm. say that. So how they were far away in these kind of velocities. Yeah. But it was not possible to measure exactly the velocity at which the galaxy was moving. Okay. So it's, it's applying this technique, that is the dispersion of velocities, it is possible to determine a kind of the maximum rotation of the object. This is something that is very well done, for example, trying to measure all the mass within a cluster of galaxies. Mm -hmm. So you measure the galaxies in the outer skirts of a cluster of galaxies, and you do this method, you can get more or less the mass. And applying the techniques that Peter Van Duken and collaborators did with a special kind of couple of tricks, they found that there is not that much matter there. Right. That only with the number of stars that they are able to count using the Hubble Space Telescope, the mm. images from the Hubble Space Telescope, mm -hmm. more or less is the mass that you expect from the movement of the globular clusters. Which makes you believe that there could be very little dark matter if involved. Any, if any. And mm. that, is, that is very, very important because the way we understand the evolution of the universe, first, the dark matter in some way collapsed at the beginning of the universe, mm -hmm. after the Big Bang. And then the baryonic matter, the standard matter, followed the dark matter. Right. And in the clumps of dark matter, it is where matter, standard matter, was colliding and starting to form together and eventually start forming stars and building a galaxy. Right. So maybe, because when we're talking about things forming, we talk about the initial mass function and stuff like that. Would that have to be changed, do you think, when it comes to dark matter? It might, but not exactly because of the dark matter. Mm -hmm. It might because of the conditions of the gas at the beginning of the universe. Right. It might be more that than because of the existence of dark matter. But perhaps the dark matter it is also another thing to consider. Mm. The thing it is that measuring exactly what is the form of the initial mass function, the IMF, it is not that easy. Right. Because you really need to count the stars from the very low mass stars to the big, high, massive stars. Mm. So, well, that is uh, the situation. The situation it is that they published this, uh, these results in Nature and everyone was crazy because how can be a galaxy that doesn't have any no. dark matter at all? Now we have to ask the question, what really is a galaxy? <laughs> I have to say that the first time that I heard about this announcement, about the, the study, for a moment I thought that perhaps this object, DF2, it was actually a 
Tidal Dwarf Galaxy. Okay. Do you know what is that? No. So Tidal Dwarf Galaxies are kind of small entities that are escaping from the main galaxy because of, of an interaction. Okay. If that is the case, it has been thought that those entities that are starting to be gravitating and forming a small dwarf galaxy, they are very metal-rich because mm -hmm. there have been a lot of star formation processes. They are taking the history of the big galaxy. Yep, makes and, sense. And also, we should not expect very much, if any, dark matter. Okay. So that was the first thought. The first mm -hmm. thought, perhaps it is a tidal dwarf galaxy or something like that. And some people have questioned that. But because of the condition of NGC 1052, and, and it is relatively far away, it doesn't seem so. Okay. The other question, it is exactly, as we said before, the distance to the galaxy. Right. Because uh, Peter Bandoku and collaborators, they were very clever. They, instead of writing a big paper, they wrote two papers. Okay. One talking about the discovery of TF2, this galaxy without dark matter, mm -hmm. apparently. And the other one describing a kind of new kind of globular clusters. Okay. Because all From the, the ones they were observing. Exactly. Right. All the globular clusters that they have been claimed to be globular clusters around mm. TF2 are very bright. Oh, okay. Are more kind like Omega Centauri. Mm -hmm. in that order and we only have one Omega Centauri of the Milky Way yes we only have one kind of Omega Centauri it is a global cluster with around 10 million stars mm. plenty of objects we know that it is a remnant of a dwarf galaxy yes the rest of the global cluster they are in the top 1 million stars or, may, or, or just some few hundred thousands mm. but not 10 million Yes. But all the globular clusters that they were mentioned here in TF2 are kind of... Like Omega Centauri. Omega Centauri. Oh, cool. Because of the amount of stars that they can measure with the light. Yes. So that raised a bit of the alarm on some astronomers, thinking, why are these globular clusters so weird or so massive? Mm. What would happen if the distance to the galaxy we are not that close to NGC 1052, but much closer to us. The globular clusters? The globular cluster and DF2 and the ah. galaxy. Because they, we know that the globular cluster, these structures are, are around DF2. Right, okay. In that scenario, mm -hmm. if the galaxy were much closer to us, then the amount of stars that we actually measure in these globular clusters would be lower. Okay. Because the way of converting stellar light into mm. stellar mass, it is also knowing the distance. Oh, they okay. are assuming the distance to NGC right. 1052. Oh, okay. I see. So we are seeing that these global clusters are overluminous mm -hmm. because we are overestimating the distance. <laughs> so maybe they're not quite so Omega Centauri. If it is closer than they assume. Exactly. Because we have not seen any other galaxy having this kind of weird population of globular clusters. Mm. And that is, I think, the key thing at the end of this history. The more I think about that, the more convinced I am that is what is happening. Right. I might be wrong. And again, I, 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 will, I will say <laughs> something else later. But that is important in this sense. Mm. 
if the galaxy is closer, is much closer to us, yep. the velocity that we are measuring, the dispersion of velocity that we are measuring to, to get in the total mass is higher, much higher than the light that we see in form of the stars. Right. Because again, we are overestimating the amount of light that we are receiving for this galaxy because we yes. are overestimating the distance, the distance to the galaxy. So if it's closer, our measurements will all change and we will actually possibly have some dark matter in there. It will definitely have dark matter. Yes. It will also have dark matter because when you reanalyze the same data as they show in the paper in Nature using different techniques, you find that still the galaxy has dark matter. Mm. So there are many researchers that have been claiming that, hey, the referee didn't do the right job <laughs> because you should have applied or they should have been applied a different kind of statistical approach to the analysis of this. Uh, it is very sophisticated. The way the kind of globular cluster are moving. Mm -hmm. And then if you are considering that extra thing, you get dark matter in this object. There we go. So maybe uh, we just need to do a bit more measurements and work these things out. But there's lots of really weird and wonderful things happening with this galaxy, and I look forward to finding out more about this thing. Yeah, exactly. And that is the last thing that we should say. So if we want to know more, let's go and observe it again. And please, let's try to get the distance to these objects. Yes. And that will solve the problem. That's right. Find the distance then we can work out and say definitively there's dark matter or no dark matter. Exactly. So at the end of the day, although it has been around everywhere and we have been talking a lot about, a lot about this object, mm. there is a very important thing missing, which is the distance, the real distance to this object. That's right. Once you have that, then you can do a bit more in a better way the estimation of the mass. And then you can claim if that really has dark matter or not. There we go. Find out more when we find out more from the scientists. <laughs> I think that was a pretty good episode today. Um, we talked a lot about dark matter. We talked a lot about M83, the band and the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. And NGC 1052-DF2. Exactly. That weird object. That very weird object. We're looking forward to finding out more. Um, remember, looking up to M83 today, this fortnight, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. In two weeks' time. It will go fast, for sure, for some of us. It will, indeed. <laughs> Once again, we are The Scientists. Don't forget, we have Twitter, Facebook, at The Scientists, and you can always send us feedback or questions, either via text or video, to our email address as well, thescientists at gmail.com. We look forward to having all of your questions and maybe we can talk about one for an entire episode. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, we want to do that. I'm still waiting for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that's all from us this week, uh, this fortnight, and we'll see you next fortnight. Okay, well, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.